you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, bringing you another great episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Before we launch into our content today, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Some of you have already heard this, or maybe you've noticed it there on the website, liveonpurposeradio.com. We're on the right-hand side. If you scroll down just a little bit, you're going to see something called My Top Spots. This is an opportunity for you to get involved with Live On Purpose Radio. If you have a website or a blog or something that you would like to promote, you can go to that little widget and you just click on that. It, uh, there's a bunch of empty spots there in the bottom of the list. We're, we haven't filled it up yet. If you click on that, it'll give you an opportunity to, for a $5 contribution, put your link on Live On Purpose Radio. And I have to tell you, we are getting anywhere between 60 and 160 downloads a day of this show. And so that's an exciting thing to get involved with. That's a way for you to not only support the show, but for me to support what you're doing. So I want to invite those of you who have some link that you would like to share with our listeners to go there and get into my top spots. I'm a little excited about this because it's brand new. So that'll be kind of cool. I want to introduce my guest for today. This is Dr. Dean Barley. Say hello, Dean. Hello. Glad to have you with me. It's good to be here. Dean Barley is a clinical psychologist who is licensed to practice the art of psychology. I call it more of an art than a science. Very good. But there's a lot of scientific stuff to it today. We're going to get into some of the research today that I'm personally very excited about. Dean and I have known each other for a number of years. And I was just recalling, Dean, I think the first time that I ran into you was when I was doing an internship or a uh, clerkship, I believe it was. That's true. At the Utah State Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so. you supervised that. Do you yep, remember that? I do. And we had some fun out there. Yeah, but there was a lot of work to be done there. Good work. That's, uh, that's some good work that's happening. And uh, anyway, we've been associated since then. We've had some discussions recently about some trends in the world of psychology and you have been doing some some uh, exploration, shall we call it, in an area that I find very intriguing and that I've really kind of shaped my practice around in the last couple of years, and that is the, the area of positive psychology. Why don't you give us just a little bit of a, an intro to who you are and what you're doing and why this topic has got you turned on? I've been thinking and uh, reevaluating uh, my goals and dreams of the um, impact I'd like to make, the contribution I would like to make, and have found uh, a content and perhaps a delivery system uh, through mm. this positive psychology ideas. Uh, the thing that impresses me most is that these uh, ideas are well-founded on research, and it's not armchair mm-hmm. philosophy, things that people come up with, or some mm-hmm. people say self-help snake oil. These are mm-hmm. uh, well-founded uh, research findings that do work, and mm-hmm. so it gives me uh, uh, courage um, to try to uh, use these in practice. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, there's a lot of foofy ideas out there. So it appears. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I both know this. There's a lot of goofy stuff out there, and almost anyone who has a philosophy or a theory can go out there and promote it or practice it. Or whatever, and what you're saying is that, that the things we're going to be talking about today are grounded in some of the more traditional uh, types of of empirical study. Correct. That helps us to know. Well, this is more than just an idea, or just a theory. This tends to hold some water, and it tends to have some uh, some robust um, findings in the research field. True. So. 
let's introduce the topic by contrasting it to what else there is. If this is positive psychology, what are we contrasting it with? The uh, Historically, psychology in America, and, and I want to immediately cite people that our listeners will want to know about. Um, mm-hmm. They'll need to review, I would highly recommend they review a book called Authentic Happiness by uh, Martin Seligman. He also wrote Learned Optimism and other books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, founders of this movement, a past president of American Psychological Association, much of what I will say today will come through his uh, review of the literature. And uh, he makes the point that psychology as a whole uh, in America since the end of World War II has been founded around helping people who are suffering. Just as in medicine, mm-hmm. doctors go to school to learn uh, how to cure illness, and psychologists are trained. Uh, to do therapy with people who are struggling, and to Mm -hmm. remove symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. However, simply because I assist someone to to where they have no symptoms of depression does not necessarily mean I've taught them how to be happy. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so the difference between uh, traditional uh, psychology as practiced today uh, would be we're trained how to help people remove symptoms and to function better, as uh, mm-hmm. it might be said, to get from a negative position to zero or neutral, positive psychology would focus more on what, did we, what have we learned about and from people who are happy, who are functioning, things that uh, might expand uh, those of us that are not diagnosable, the other 80% of the population. So you could, uh, the analogy might be uh, public health. Uh, there are those of us that aren't sick. However, there are preventative things that we should do with diet, exercise, mm-hmm. and sleep. Um, uh, someone in positive psychology might use uh, the interventions and the things we'll talk about today to prevent depression. Mm-hmm. Well, not only to prevent depression, but mm-hmm. to enhance your experience in life mm-hmm. and to give you a, a more powerful route to accomplish things like happiness or prosperity or joy, or peace. These are, these are things that traditionally weren't addressed much in the field of psychology. True. Like you were saying, it was more of a pathology model and, and came from the medical model uh, of, you know, let's identify what's wrong and let's see what we can do to fix what's wrong. Which it, is appropriate. And it's helped me to think of it as a spectrum, too. If you put your mental health on a spectrum... And on the far left end of the spectrum is sickness and illness and pathology and being diagnosable or having treatment or, you know, all of that stuff. It's over on the left end of the spectrum. Sometimes I'll ask people what's on the other end, and they'll say, well, being healthy. Mm -hmm, That's good. And I actually put that right in the middle. Okay. If we define it as being not sick, like you said, get from a negative position to a neutral position. Okay. And compare it to your, to your physical health, for example. You might be sick in bed. You might have a fever. You might be throwing up all kinds of stuff. There comes a point when you are no longer sick. You're able to get out of bed. Your fever breaks. That doesn't have anything to do with how fit you are or how, how much you're thriving. Correct. And so that's the whole other end of the spectrum, and that's what we're talking about with this positive psychology. Exactly. So I am personally very enthusiastic about this because I used to feel some frustration in my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. I developed some pretty good skills for getting people out of their stuckness and out of their sickness to a position that was rather neutral. It was, they're not sick anymore. No longer diagnosable. Which means if you're billing their insurance company, there is no longer any medical necessity for your services. Correct. Well, does that mean that the things that I can do to help them are no longer going to be helpful to them? Uh, We we would hope not, and we would hope we'll we'll come up with a delivery system, like through podcasts, public Mm -hmm. uh, service lectures, um, Mm -hmm. the same way that we get public health information out into the world. Hopefully we'll use this positive psychology to make a difference in the lives of real people. Mm -hmm. And that's what this positive psychology is all about. Mm -hmm. How can we take uh, that other end of the spectrum and learn from it whatever we need to know to understand what it takes to accomplish happiness. As, as Seligman puts it, authentic happiness. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of predictable principles or interventions or methods can we use to help to get us there? That's where we're going. So that's what this is all about today. You bet. 
Well, Dean, we've got a few minutes before our first commercial break, and I want to give you an opportunity to highlight perhaps a, an idea or two from this book to kind of get us started on this topic. Great. The, the thing I would want our listeners to, at the end of our discussion today, to take home is uh, the concept of optimism as defined in, in very specific ways that we'll discuss in a few moments, mm-hmm. and how that form of uh, thinking and approach to the world uh, does a lot of marvelous things for you as far as it correlates with better health, better social relationships, better uh, functioning in the workplace, in sports, in many endeavors that are vital. Um, if that would be one key I'd like to leave with them today would be this form of optimism. And another concept that uh, positive psychology is bringing to the forefront is called flow or using your own, quote, signature strengths, unquote, mm-hmm. in a way uh, that brings you gratification and joy. It's called, uh, in Seligman's words, living the engaged life and we'll talk about that today living the engaged life the engaged life that doesn't mean you're about to be married (laughs) although it might it might (laughs) but that's not specifically what it means correct you know optimism triggered something for me i think i may have mentioned it on this show before dean that uh, seligman has gone through an interesting transformation in his own career he talks about that a little bit in the beginning of this book this is the guy who is is famous for some research that he did years and years and years ago about learned helplessness. Correct. Do you remember that study with the cats and the... The dogs, yeah. And the, the, the electrified grid in the box? Exactly. And, uh, and if, for you listeners, if you're not familiar with the learned helplessness research, he basically showed that you can train animals to be helpless. So that they learn that uh, nothing they do makes any difference, which uh, in the That's behaviorism right. of the time... Uh, didn't make sense. So it helped move mm-hmm. psychology from behaviorism into now the cognitive psychology. Mm-hmm. Some groundbreaking stuff, but, you know, we contrast his studies about learned helplessness with what he's he's focusing on now, which is more of the learned optimism. In fact, that's one of the titles of a book that he's written more recently, mm-hmm. Learned Optimism. Give us an intro to optimism, Dean. Optimism uh, is defined by three uh, components, has to do with how one thinks. When something bad happens to an optimist, he's going to interpret that in the, in the realms of, is it personal? Is it pervasive? Is it permanent? And those are the three things that we need to talk about when we talk about the differences between optimism and pessimism. An optimist will see a bad thing as being something that doesn't last long, isn't, uh, mm-hmm. It's not my fault, frankly, and it's something that can be changed. So personal, pervasive, and permanent. Yeah, those, those dimensions. We'll, we'll work about. those over a little bit as we come back from this first break. This is Ross Kellen Moore of Creation Tree Coaching, and I've got two questions for you. Who are you? What do you want? You see, I've figured out that you and I can absolutely create anything that we really want. But to do that, we've got to be absolutely clear on who we really are and what we really want. So what do you want? More financial abundance? More fulfilling relationships? A higher level of health and fitness? How about finding your work that allows you to create massive value for others in the way that you love most? Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching. We are the world's premier provider of abundance, education, and resources. We are here to help you create the life you really love. Begin now at creationtreecoaching.com. Check out our live teleseminar classes and podcasts. Get to know our coaches and schedule a coaching session. Explore training for your business and employees. Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching and a whole new world that you create on purpose. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned to the parental power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use Parental Power as kind of like a reference book 
So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. So I like the variety of, of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. No, you know, Dean, it would be really interesting to um, find out what people think about happiness. Just anecdotally, I haven't done any hard research on this. But I have people express things to me all the time in my office or just in the associations that I have with people. They have these ideas about what it takes to be happy. Sure. Sometimes they're very misguided or they just seem out of place to me. But Seligman has done some some actual research into, okay, what are some of these things that people think will make them happy, but it doesn't seem to have any firm connection or correlation with happiness? You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, let's review some of those. Those are excellent because they help us realize that happiness is in well within the reach of all of us today. So the, some of the prerequisites that we may have thought had to be in place for happiness... He's been able to blow some of these away with the research he's right. done. You and I tell ourselves, I'd only be happy if, and the fact is, is a lot of these are not true. Let's uh, start with the big one, money. Um, mm. Most of us believe that if we get to a certain uh, income level that uh, suddenly our happiness is going to be magnified, and it may be true temporarily. Uh, life satisfaction scores indeed may go up briefly to mm-hmm. changes, but we uh, mm-hmm. one of the problems with uh, what's called habituation is, frankly, we get used to it, we adapt, and we compare ourselves with others, and very quickly we're still dissatisfied. To- uh, materialism can be very toxic. Um, one study of uh, 22 lottery winners, major lottery winners, people oh, who made I've a heard about lot this. of money, um, uh-huh. after uh, a period of time returned back to basic their basic baseline level of life satisfaction that they had before they won all this money. In fact, I, I think I've heard that some of them are actually lower later on. And, and maybe that's just case-specific, mm-hmm. but uh, what you're saying then is that sometimes the change, like if you go from this income level to something that's maybe a third higher or something, you're going to feel some satisfaction about Absolutely. that. You're going to have, have a sense of accomplishment or euphoria about that. And it's temporary, usually. But then you settle into that. And you're dissatisfied again because whatever was creating the dissatisfaction to begin with is still there. So it appears. And so yeah. uh, money, uh, for the, uh, if we're going, for example, from extreme poverty and deprivation up to where we meet baseline needs, uh, mm-hmm. of anything above what uh, we need to survive and get by on and have some level of security, adding to that probably won't add a great deal of life satisfaction. So... Uh, if that makes sense to our listeners, if we get up to a level where we can meet our needs and there's some level of security, mm-hmm. uh, that will probably, if, if we were in extreme poverty before, then mm-hmm. that might help. But beyond that, uh, the life satisfaction scores probably won't change a lot. There was one study done of the Ford, uh, Forbes 100 people. These are people that are worth $125 million on the average. Mm-hmm. And their baseline uh, level of uh, life satisfaction was only slightly happier than the average American. And so you and I think of the rich and famous and wonder uh, they must be much happier than us. And the truth is with money, is life satisfaction or happiness uh, beyond a certain amount, a certain level of security, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to increase our happiness uh, that much. And in fact, U.S. purchasing power has doubled and the rates of depression have increased. In fact, uh, during that time, our uh, our level of uh, d- distress, uh, depression, frankly, has has uh, gone up ten times. And so, 
uh, and our level of, of regular lifestyle satisfaction has remained flat over the last 30 years in America in spite of the fact that we're becoming more productive and more wealthy. Mm. So wealth has very little correlation with happiness levels, by and large, as a group. Other things that you and I might think happiness would come from, frankly, is physical attractiveness, mm-hmm. being, being young, and the truth is, is uh, life satisfaction tends to go up a little bit with age. Uh, objective health, meaning uh, how healthy are we really, what seems to be happy is how healthy we think we are. Subjective mm. sense of health. Mm-hmm. Um, educate, we would think that more educated or intelligent people might uh, correlate with happiness. That, frankly, isn't true. Climate, race, mm-hmm. gender, uh, those things don't correlate much with happiness, if that makes sense. So really what this means is that you can find people in any of those categories and and that doesn't necessarily predict whether they're going to be happy or not. That's true. So you'll find people that are happy in uh, a cold climate. Right. And you'll also find them happy down in the Bahamas. Right. And if they move to Arizona, uh, they might feel happier for a while and then return to baseline uh, levels. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, a change might notice an increase and then it will return back to baseline uh, there are some things that do seem to correlate with happiness that are worth thinking about, and uh, maybe we could walk through a few of those if we yeah, have time. Should we do that? Sure, let's hit a few of those, um, because I'm finding myself thinking, okay, well, what does make a difference? Then? There there are some circumstances, we're talking about circumstances now, about 8 to uh, 15% of the variance, as we say, of uh, happiness scores uh, are accounted for some of the following things. Um, and I'll mention these, and these are... Uh, Again, based in empiricism and not somebody's thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious people, frankly, tend to uh, use drugs less, commit less crimes. Uh, they're buffered against divorce, and they don't commit suicide as much. They tend to be a little happier. They live a little longer, and they're less thrown by bad events. And so being involved with a religion of any kind seems to instill hope and meaning in life. And those folks, on the average, uh, there are some other uh, talking points probably about how uh, religion, mm-hmm. inter- but on mm-hmm. the average, religious people tend to do a little better with life satisfaction. Relationships is a, is an important one. Forty percent of married people are, uh, will t- say that they're very happy. Only twenty four percent of single, divorced, or separated people will say this. So, uh, if you study a group, if you study happy people, those people will have a vital relationship, a vibrant relationship with somebody that's working mm. for them. So uh, those that are in happy marriages uh, are going to be happier. Um, okay. Securely attached children do better in, in almost anything we can measure, so relationships uh, with parents is important. Um, let me think of some other items he would mention. Um, having a rich social network of friends seems vital. There was a question as to whether that's... Uh, which causes which? Happy people draw friends, or having friends makes one happy. It seems as if uh, the arrow does go both ways, but having a rich mm-hmm. social network seems to uh, be a buffer against uh, some of the bad things that happen in life. So these are some things in life about circumstances that uh, that uh, the science points out are important circumstantially, and then we're going to get mm-hmm. into it in a minute about the other things we can do individually. So this sort of paints a picture for the context of a happy person mm-hmm. or the profile of a happy person. They're going to tend to have these things on the average, uh, for example, a stable, loving, committed relationship. Yes. It tends to be part of that profile of a happy person. Sure. Um, someone who has a deep sense of faith uh, which translates operationally into some kind of an affiliation with religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these things tend to be correlated with happiness. So it appears. And uh, these are okay. things that uh, are, they, let me say how to say this, they're part of the circumstances in which we live, but they're also, uh, there's choice involved in mm-hmm. some of these, that you and I can do things to improve our relationships. Well, and like you said earlier too, which causes which? Right. So happy people tend to create these kinds of things in their life, and having these kinds of things in their life tend to facilitate happiness. Yes. So it, and it may be one of those productive cycles that, you know, we've, we've talked uh, in the other end of the spectrum about destructive cycles, mm-hmm. where this particular activity will lead to more depression, which leads to more of this particular activity and just this destructive cycle, but there's the the same thing exists on the positive end of the spectrum. 
That is exactly true. That's how Good. it would seem to me, too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cool. Okay. Now, there's something I wanted to come back to. Maybe this... We're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm, I'm going back to this optimism thing. Yes. And you said the optimistic people... Well, anybody is going gonna, is gonna to evaluate the circumstances of their life based on these three words that you said. Is it personal? Is it pervasive? And is it permanent? Correct. An optimistic person is going to evaluate those things much differently than a pessimistic person. Right. Let's, let's, uh, it's important people get this down. And, and, uh, okay, so a, a pessimistic person, when a okay. bad thing happens is going to interpret that as something that's personal and it's my fault. It's pervasive. Mm-hmm. It's the way I've always been. It's the way I'm in, That's the way I am in every this circumstance. Kind of stuff always happens to and, me. And you know I can't change it. Okay. So if I'm on the way to the store, or I'm in a wreck, then it's because I should have known better to go out on a day like today. I always make these stupid decisions and now look what mm. I've done and it's going to happen. And and you know, I do this in every aspect of my life. That would be a pessimistic thing. And the only thing worse would be if I've got a kid in the car listening to me talk like mm-hmm. that because they're going to pick up on that kind of thing. Because then you're training the next generation of pessimists. Right. An optimist would say, oh, it's a rainy day. Uh, I wasn't paying attention, so it's specific. Uh, it's circumstantial. Uh, the other guy wasn't watching. I wasn't being very defensive. I'll be more careful next time. Mm. And and it wouldn't even occur to him to to, gener- to generalize this accident to other aspects of his life. And so mm-hmm. um, a pessimistic person sees bad things as permanent, pervasive, and personal. Now, the optimist okay. would do those same things with good events. I did it. It's great. I'm always, I'm good at everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's going to last forever. So... Uh, those three P's, permanent, pervasive, and personal, the pessimist does it at bad events. The optimist mm. does it with good events. Okay. That, that's clear. Well, and it's interesting, as you, as you mentioned that, I've, I've taught a lot of my clients that every single event in your life has both a personal and an impersonal component. Mm-hmm. And the personal part is that it's happening to you. Right. But the impersonal part is it doesn't matter that it's you. Could be anybody. Stuff happens. It could be anybody. And there's a there's a line in the Bible about how God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. It just rains. And if you're out there in it, you're going to get rained on. So true. But the pessimist thinks it's raining on me, and it's you my know? fault. And it That's always rains. And it always Every rains. Every time rains I go out, it rains. And on. I can't change it. It's always going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that cartoon. Have you seen the cartoon? I think. Uh, I think Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. you know, Eeyore, oh, and he's walking around and there's a little rain cloud following him. That's the pessimist. It's raining just on him. Right. And it always happens to me. Right. Yeah. Whereas the the optimist just knows that it's raining, you know, right. grab an umbrella or just enjoy the rain. And the sad thing with the pessimist is if something good happens, they would interpret it as a one-time lucky fluke thing that happened to me that was still outside of mm-hmm. his control. Even, so it's very That's difficult right. at times to teach them to pull them out of that helplessness piece. And uh, It's really the same pattern of thinking, but applied on either the positive side or the negative right. side. That's where the emphasis is. Cool. We'll take it a little farther than this when we come back. People give their two cents, but this positive island boy shares a dime every time he speaks. Dino Pinder is back with another deposit to your attitude. Every day is a good day. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. If your eyes opened up this morning, your two feet touched the ground, you got more to thank the Lord for. I mean, if he was to write our blessings on the wall, we'd paint this old city because we just can't number them all. So instead of complaining and griping, just thank the Lord that you could get out of bed and walk and talk. Yeah, sometimes people tell me, hey, it's good to see you. I tell them, well, I'd rather be seen than viewed. Yeah, I see people, you know, time they worry all the time, worry about this, they worry about that. My grandma used to worry all the time, and I used to tell her, Ma, worrying is give you something to do. It's just like a rocking chair. You know, you could rock back and forth, it'll give you something to do, but it won't get you nowhere, and that's the same with worrying. So why worry when you could pray? You say it's a good day? Yeah, it's a good day. Every day is a good day. This has been Dino's Dime. 
For more island wisdom, visit dinosdime.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening to Live on Purpose Radio. Some of you have been asking how you can get more involved with the show. And I also appreciate those of you who have offered to support the show. Now you can do both easily by purchasing a Top Spots listing. For a very small donation to the show, your link will be posted at liveonpurposeradio.com. Just go to the website and look for the Top Spots widget on the right side panel. Click at the bottom and follow the simple instructions. You will then be at the top of the list. Thanks for your support. So there's a clear difference between being a pessimist and an optimist. Yes, and the optimists are eight times more likely to get depressed when presented with bad things. So it's it's toxic. You mean the pessimists? I meant the pessimists. Thank I, you. I think you said optimist. What I meant to say that the that. pessimists are more likely to get depressed when bad things happen, and they don't persist to get out of it. And when you say depressed, you mean clinical, measurable uh, depression? Yes. And at least a subjective sense of, oh, my life stinks. Right. And then uh, normal, quote, depression, meaning uh, you and I, uh, events happen and we feel uh, loss, rejection, pain. Uh, mm-hmm. 25% of the population is going to be going through that at any time. And it moves into uh, to where it's diagnosable when it becomes worse on us on mm-hmm. a spectrum. But uh, right. pessimistic people are more likely to move that way with it. Because that's a pervasive pattern of their thinking. Right. So we need to help folks either when they get there to come back and or what we're hoping today is to give some keys to people so that uh, might, as we could say, psychologically immunize them from becoming mm. depressed with some very, uh, I'll call simple, basic tools that are uh, very learnable. So how does one move from this pessimist mindset one of the most the uh, important findings of the last 30 years has to do with the intermediating factors of uh, behavior and feelings and thoughts, and that is the way we think influences strongly the way we feel. That seems uh, almost silly to say that. It seems cut like common knowledge now. But the thought patterns that we have uh, highly uh, drive the way we feel, and so it's hard for me to change my feelings directly, but it's a little easier to focus on the thought patterns. For example, mm-hmm. um, if I want to move from a pessimistic uh, thought pattern to optimistic, we we can use the A, B, C, D, E pattern that all cognitive psychologists use. Mm, that's one that I teach. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. A would be an active, activating event or an adversity. Something bad happens. B is often the belief of what we tell ourselves about what just happened. C would be the mm-hmm. consequences of what we do. D is uh, where the uh, intervention happens. D means to dispute. We're going to dispute the belief. And then the Mm -hmm. E at the end is the energizing that comes after you dispute. And the question would be, well, what is that activity that we do when we dispute? And I would refer people to any of the cognitive psychology readings. David Burns, uh, Feeling Mm. Good, A New Mood Therapy is an excellent read. David Burns, Aaron Beck, those Aaron are some Beck, of the Albert Ellis. These are folks leaders that in that field. Moved us forward in this, and uh, so the D, the disputation, means uh, simply examine the evidence. Uh, let me pause. The easiest way to do this is when you say something to yourself that seems condemning. Uh, ask yourself if you would say that to a friend, or what would a friend say to you, or what would you say to a friend who's suffering or saying that to himself. Mm. Uh, uh, long before they were counselors, they were friends, and we simply talked truth to each other. Mm-hmm. And so examine the evidence for that belief. See if there are alternative multiple causes uh, that might be uh, uh, to account for what happened other than your pessimistic thought. Uh, the word decatastrophize means uh, looking at the implications and see if they're really true. For example, I lost my job. I'll never find a job. That's simply not mm. true. How can That's crystal no. balling. How can I ever prove that? Uh, then I can examine the pros and cons for holding on to a certain belief. Why do I need to tell myself that now? Let's set that aside, self-distract. And then Mm. as I do these things, it's often helpful to slow it down and keep a record. That's a very quick run-through of one of the most... Mm. uh, That's what we do in therapy. That's That's a basic cognitive approach. It's a way of reframing your thinking. Right. 
putting it into a different context that allows you to take a little different look at it. And the thing I've appreciated about uh, Seligman's writings is uh, cognitive therapists, we tend to look for patterns of irrational thoughts that's fairly broad. And mm-hmm. uh, this gave me, th- uh, with this pervasive, personal, and permanent, it gives me a rifle shot area to watch for. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm listening now a little more closely with clients and folks on what, in those three dimensions, and so mm-hmm. maybe that I can uh, tailor my, my energies and helping people change those specific dimensions. It might be a little more effective. So mm-hmm. um, as we're working with our children, uh, we need to be careful and uh, mindful would be a better word on how, on how we speak with them and how we model. And as we work with uh, people and with ourselves, that simple ABCD model dispute uh, our belief that may be pessimistic in those three dimensions is a, a very powerful way to change the way we think. And I wanted to mention that to make sure our listeners today got uh, that into their little toolkit today. So, And there's a, there's a question that you can put right there in the toolkit next to where you just put this one. And it's, it's a potentially life-saving question. Yes. And the question is, what else might this mean? Mm-hmm. And then allow, and then befriend yourself. I like what you're saying about friends earlier, Dean. It reminded me of a line from Crocodile Dundee. Okay, do you remember that movie? I do. And uh, uh, she was talking to—I can't even remember the name. Anyway, the the female lead in the show was talking to Crocodile Dundee about her psychiatrist. Okay. And he said, "Well, what's a psychiatrist?" And she said, well, "That's somebody that you talk to about all your problems." Have you got any mates? He says, "What's the matter? I haven't got any mates." <laughs> Yeah, friends came before shrinks. Right. And what if you could befriend yourself? And say things to yourself that you would say to a friend. With the same level of compassion and understanding, we tend to be far too critical of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the words that we learned back in graduate school. It's depressionogenic. Right. (laughs) In other words, it causes or creates depression. To think that way. So uh, if our listeners, if we catch ourselves speaking in that way, you now have a, a tool, a reminder to help you. Oh, I need to talk to myself as if I were talking to her. I would speak that way to a friend. And, uh, right. And uh, so, and if we speak to friends, we mm-hmm. need, need some help to get out of it. They can often help us. But examine the evidence, look for different ways to think about it, mm-hmm. um, decatastrophize. Those are things. And again, I'd refer you to the reading we've mentioned uh, for more specifics. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great reading. In fact, Dean, let's put a, we'll put a list of some of the books that we mentioned on today's show right there on the website Perfect. so that people can get to them. We'll put up Authentic Happiness, uh, Learned Optimism, some of those that we've talked about. Excellent. That's a good idea. Okay. So uh, can I lead into something else now? Please. We talked a little bit earlier about this idea of flow. Mm-hmm. And having an engaged life. Yes. Some of these terms might be a little new. Let's, uh, let's explore that a little bit. What do you mean when you say engaged life? Okay, the fl- uh, concept of flow comes from uh, the work of uh, Michele Csikszentmihalyi, I think I've pronounced that uh, correctly, mm-hmm. who studied... Um, he would give people a beeper and it would go off randomly and then uh, he would ask them what they were doing, what they were feeling, what they were thinking, and he discovered this... Uh, this experience that he he named flow, some people might call it being in the zone. Uh, the way it's been interpreted and magnified now is uh, when people are using their strengths, their uh, what Seligman would call signature strengths, things I'm good at, uh, that I enjoy doing, things that give me energy, um, and I'm at the right at the top of my ability level with a challenge. Uh, in those moments, I, I actually lose my self-consciousness. Uh, in my language, I might go into uh, an everyday naturalistic trance. I'm involved. I'm uh, fully a- a- attending to something. If you uh, interrupt someone who is in this midst of flow and you ask them how they're feeling, they might not be aware of feeling anything other than, uh, I'm pretty busy right now, can you leave me alone? Afterwards, they would say, that was really fun, I want to do more of it. But right. time stops and self-consciousness lapses and people get into, into something very heavily. That's called flow, and it's gratifying. It's different than a pleasure, and especially if it's in uh, the service of a noble cause, then we would call mm. that the engaged life or even moving into what he calls the meaningful life. 
Okay, you've hit a lot of really important things really quickly Great. here. Because we're talking about signature strengths. Yes. And I know this is Seligman's way of describing something we've talked about before on this program. When we talk about having a sole purpose or having unique abilities mm-hmm. or having uh, areas of passion mm-hmm. in your life or dreams. I mean, all of these things are related concepts. Yes. And it has to do with the way people are are drawn into or engaged in their life, especially okay. if it's towards some kind of a higher purpose. Great. And I think you mentioned that as well. You bet. This, and I know from my own experience and working with all of my clients and the readings that I've done, that when you're on target, when you're in the zone or in the flow, mm-hmm. it adds passion and energy to your life. Yes. It's great. This is when you love your life, when you're engaged in that kind of stuff. Good. That's what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. So the readers may mm. need to know what a signature strength is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I'll quickly give, a, again, a kind of a thumbnail sketch. Uh, through pretty meticulous uh, work, uh, a gentleman's name, uh, Christopher Peterson, has put together a marvelous work on strengths. And virtues, uh, for the last reviewing literature for the last 3,000 years, they've come up with about six virtues. Those six virtues expand into 24 strengths. Uh, and examples of those, um, yeah, let me see. For example, if uh, a virtue might be wisdom and knowledge, and that might break into the strength of curiosity or mm-hmm. love of learning or judgment. Ingenuity, social intelligence, and perspective. So there's 24 of these different strengths. If you were to go to AuthenticHappiness.org, you could easily take a test, about a a 25-minute event, and you could find out what your signature strengths are, how they rank up. And and the intervention with this, if I want to create flow in my life, is find the things that I'm my top five and make sure that I have an opportunity to, to use those strengths in my work, in my love relationships, in my play. And mm-hmm. the more I do that, the more flow I'm going to experience, the more gratified my life's going to be, and I'll be in this engaged life. So having some knowledge or awareness of what those strengths are for you, that would be maybe a first step toward figuring out how to integrate those in your life and live in a more engaged way. Right. And instead of floundering around and, and as you help people find their purpose, Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be an empirically based way to quickly go take a little test and, and find out, gee, what am I really good at? Gee, I always knew mm-hmm. that, but now I've got mm-hmm. a way to talk about it, how to structure it into my life. And I pulled this up uh, even before you mentioned it, Dean, because I heard where you were going with this. AuthenticHappiness.org is the website that you can go to. And right here in the middle of the page, it says Signature Strengths Questionnaire. That's it. And you just click on it. He's got a whole bunch of questionnaires there that you can take. And they're all excellent, and it's all free. And it's it and it helps you to get tuned into, okay, where am I in this area? Exactly. And what is it that's really going to engage me in my life if I were to become more aware and more purposeful about living that way? Great. Great resource. Thank you for sharing that, Dean. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Adams, one of the co-founders of CashflowParadigm.com. We created Cashflow Paradigm as a way to help others look at money differently. What are your beliefs about money? Is it good or bad? Many people have beliefs that limit their control over money and don't even realize it. The thing most people don't realize is that their beliefs about money greatly affect the amount of money and prosperity they have. It's all about your paradigm. Come play a fun game with us called Cashflow 101, created by best-selling author Robert Kiyosaki. Come meet new people and check your paradigm as we learn principles that govern our personal and financial lives while having fun together. Currently, we are holding monthly game nights in Provo and St. George, Utah. Go to our website at www.cashflowparadigm.com to register for upcoming events. That's www.cashflowparadigm.com. Thank you for joining me for the Live on Purpose radio podcast. 
It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org, to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power Teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hidden messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. Okay, since I've got an expert in studio with me on positive psychology, and Dean, I consider you an expert because you're you're better read on this particular topic than than most people I know. I'm just beginning. I feel like I'm standing on the seashore throwing rocks into the sea. But it's a very attractive sea. Yes, it is. Isn't it? And it's got me excited because here finally our 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 industry, our field is understanding that there's more to it than pathology and that there is this whole richness of life that we can access and it's based on solid theory and it's based on things that we can identify as principles. Then they work. I've got a couple that I want to ask you about. Okay. Okay, because I teach this stuff all the time, but I tend to be more of the, I get enthused about a topic, I see how it works in my life and in the lives of others and then I go apply it. And I don't turn to the research as much as some of my colleagues might. Great. So there's two things that I use routinely in my counseling and coaching with people that I want to ask you about. And those are gratitude and forgiveness. Nailed those, didn't you? Those, tell me what the research okay. says about um, those. Uh, in this uh, piece that Seligman calls The Pleasant Life uh, and having positive emotions about the past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order, to, uh, And again, the way we feel is often, well, connected with the way we think. Sure. And so he said in order to feel uh, positive thoughts about the past, it'd be wonderful to have grateful feelings uh, for those blessings that we have been given, those marvelous events that have happened in our lives, as well mm-hmm. as to forgive uh, supposed trespasses. And so uh, he might have uh, people do what's called a gratitude assignment, Pick mm-hmm. someone that they that they have not uh, adequately expressed gratitude for. Write a meticulous letter. Uh, have an event. Bring the, bring the person in. Set and then share with them the letter. Give them a copy of it. Read it slowly. And that kind of an assignment uh, is very positive for people. Everyone enjoys that particular assignment. When done, mm-hmm. um, so that would be an example of a gratitude. And the other piece on a daily thing is simply for you and I to identify two or three things during the day that we've enjoyed, say at the end of the day, write it down, and then even uh, contemplate, well, what caused that? What were the causes? And mm-hmm. and that's working on, again, at our attributional style. Am I going to give a, a positive, excuse me, an optimistic or a, a pessimistic mm-hmm. attributional style to my causes mm-hmm. I'm assigning? Mm-hmm. And so that's practice. And that does seem to be something that really helps people and, and lasts over time, that second intervention. Write things down that are good that have happened to you today you're grateful for, and how did that happen? And uh, that seems to help people feel better in the present. 
and then the other thing, forgiveness, uh, he, uh, he quotes uh, and cites a man named Everett Worthington, and mm-hmm. perhaps we can post uh, some of his works, but if okay. our listeners want to look up Everett Worthington, he's uh, got a, several books he's written on forgiveness, and he has a model called Reach uh, that he uses uh, to help people forgive, and that helps us set aside things from the past that are bothering us. And those of us, uh, those that use his particular model, empirically it's been shown that they have less anger, stress, and increased optimism, and health. And I'll mm. put a quick plug in for this. Optimistic people tend to be healthier. Our, our T cells and our killer, uh, natural killer cells, they work better. Our immune system works better when we're optimistic. So forgiveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. gratitude are two things, yes, Paul, you've picked right up on them, that have empirical uh, uh, support for those interventions and helping us be happier. So I'm not too far off nope, base using right those with my clients. Absolutely on target. Well, and I've had a sense of that for forever. Uh, but it's good to know that that is backed up in the research, too, mm-hmm. that these kinds of things actually increase your health, your mental health, also your physical also health your physical is health. affected by that. You know, somebody else who's done some great work on the forgiveness end is Dr. Fred Luskin. Yes. And uh, he's the head of the Stanford Forgiveness Project, mm-hmm. and, and he wrote a, a book called Forgive for Good. Yeah, and uh, came and spoke about that in Salt Lake several years ago, and I went and listened to that presentation. He had some similar research that he was citing about how how the ability to forgive uh, enhances a person's experience in life, including their physical health, and obviously their relationships are going to improve if they're able to do that kind of a thing. Correct. Now I want to mention something since I work with folks who've uh, suffered tremendously that. Um the people who've been through, and I'll speak frankly, uh, tr- horrendous abuses in the past. Um, I understand that mm-hmm. using forgiveness as a word is sometimes very difficult. But uh, and as people, when they're ready, move towards that. There's tremendous healing. Mm-hmm. That's right. I just right. want to mention that that it, it's not as easy as it sounds for many people. Well, and sometimes the connotations of the word forgiveness will kind of throw people off. Yeah. They think that it's some kind of a spiritual or religious term. And it, it is used often in that context. That's true. I had a client years ago who was really struggling with an assignment that I'd given her to read that book, to read Luskin's book. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't figure out why she wasn't reading the book. Finally, she admitted to me, she says, I can't get past the title. So we had her... Take off the jacket of the book. Great. Turn it inside out. And then she took a magic marker and gave it a different title. And I think the title that we picked was How to, how to Free Yourself from Prison. Great. Or something like that. Sure. You know? And she, she just put a different title on it. And then she was fine. She could go ahead and read it. But she got kind of hung up on that forgiveness idea. Because some, sometimes people think that forgiveness somehow frees somebody else. Exactly. There's a lot of... Uh implications, I think, that need Mm -hmm. uh, obstacles to forgiveness that need to be dealt with first. And that's a whole other show. Yep. A whole other show. In fact, maybe we ought to contact Dr. Luskin and see if he'd do that. That would be wonderful. Uh, Some neat things that you can learn that way. Thank you, Dean. That's part of, uh, that was one of the questions I had. I'm wondering if there are some other things uh, you've got a ton of notes here. Yes. As you survey those notes, are there a few other little tidbits that you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? Uh, some people might wonder if uh, positive psychology has anything to say about regular old having fun uh, and uh, what some people call hedonism, and there's nothing wrong with healthy pleasures. And uh, for uh, there are sensory healthy pleasures like taste, sights, sounds, and touch. It's great to do those. Just remember that we tend to habituate or get used to those things, and so it's nice to pace them and to savor them, not to hurry them. And uh, to do those often, in order to savor often, it would mean look forward to it, share it with somebody, take pictures of it, remember it later. Um, And um, let me think. Use surprise, for example, in a relationship with uh, a reciprocal other to pace your positive events to prevent habituation is, is an excellent example of way to make life fun and enjoyable without uh, just simply getting used to the good things for example how many hot foot sundays can i eat you know but if mm. i have one one once a month i might look forward to it 
and enjoy mm-hmm. it and treasure it and do it again. But you can't do them too often. You know what? As you were saying that, Dean, it, it occurred to me, especially in light of what Seligman writes in his book. I was I was reading a passage earlier about how since 1960, the prevalence of depression in our in our country has increased tenfold. Tenfold. That's amazing to me. And the average age of a depressed person has gone from about 25 down to about 14. Of that first depressive episode. And I'm thinking, okay, one of the problems, in light of what you have just said too, is that we get into a pattern of indulgence. Correct. And as we overindulge in pleasurable things, we habituate to that, we actually increase our dissatisfaction. Correct, and it it produces craving, and then we get an addiction, and then it goes downhill from there. It's an addictive cycle. That's right. So the the pleasures need to be spread out into some maximum time interval and savored Mm. to to enjoy them. So we've hit a number of different topics. Tie this all together for us, will you? See if you can bring a summary to this. uh, So if if, uh, we were to think of the things that positive psychologists taught us, about um, happiness and how to have that. You can increase positive attitudes about the past by using forgiveness and gratitude. You you can increase positive feelings about the future by increasing optimism using, using this ABCDE model of uh, disputing pessimistic beliefs and encouraging optimistic beliefs. We can uh, have a more pleasant life by the, by savoring and enjoying our healthy pleasures and uh, maximizing their impact by spreading them out in our lives. We can move uh, into from pleasure into the engaged life or the more gratification uh, life of gratification by discovering our signature strengths, using them in play, work, and relationships to create this concept of flow, of uh, losing ourselves in an enjoyable activity, and then that moves into the meaningful life when we are using those signature strengths in something that's bigger than ourselves, something that's going to last longer, bigger than my normal realm of influence, and that could be community, nation, religion, some charity I believe in, volunteer work, and that's a meaningful life. So it's uh, it's a mission, Can really, be. like be. a mission-driven life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Let's uh, let's summarize also some of the books that we've highlighted on this show today. Uh, the one that we have drawn the most from is by Martin Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. Dr. Seligman is, I think, the pace man for this whole movement. He's out there leading the field in positive psychology. He wrote a book called Authentic Happiness. And then you can also tune into a website... By the same name, AuthenticHappiness.org, O-R-G. And then he's written some other books too, Dean. You've got another one in front of you. Learned Optimism, How to Change Your Mind and Your Life. Excellent book. Again, by Martin Seligman. Mm -hmm. We've also mentioned one called, what, what was the Burns book again? Feeling Good. Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy, Good Reading. By David Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned uh, Forgive for Good by Dr. Fred Luskin. Mm-hmm. And so, Everett Worthington, if you Google his name, you'll find books he's written. Everett Worthington. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the names to watch for and to, uh, to read if you want to get more connected with this field of positive psychology. Dean, if someone would like to get uh, connected more with you or if they'd like to ask you a question or, or consult with you in some way, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I I do have a website I'll put up that they can find me. Okay. And maybe uh, they can find me through your website. We'll just link to it right on our, our Live On Purpose site. Good. That'll be great. So, and this is your primary resource, people. If you forget something that we talked about on the show, it's a podcast for Pete's sake. You can go listen to it again. <laughs> but go to the website, liveonpurposeradio.com. We'll have links up there for the books a way for you to get connected with Dr. Dean Barley, who is here with us today at Live on Purpose Radio talking about positive psychology. Thanks for joining us today, My pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. You guys go out there and live on purpose. Spread the word to others, too. We want to change the world.